Well, my assignment today is to help us contemplate and apply the love of God. Perhaps there's no sermon that I've ever been required to preach that I feel so inadequate to to deliver than the lofty reality of God's love. I mean, how, how can we begin to contemplate and describe so magnificent and so supreme a virtue as agape, God love. I I suppose perhaps that the only way that makes any sense is to say that I'm a refugee of God's love, as are any of us here who know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, With that as some sort of quick introduction, let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your immense love, Um, a love that is, is foreign to humans, but delivered by you to us through Christ. So, Lord, I just pray this morning that you will help us as as you guide us through your word and through the instruction of your spirit to hear and to imagine and to embrace and apply what you have given to us as a glorious benefit of our salvation. Thank you for loving us, and I pray, oh God, that you will Help us to love you back in the way that you've empowered us to. And Father, we gather with a collective inadequacy and and a collective um, absence of an adequate representation of the love of God. We, We recognize, oh God, how far we fall short. So I pray that um, these few moments that we have, you will draw us into a rich place of instruction because we know, Lord, that you want us to know the truth and to be set free by it and to be transformed by it. And I pray that that would happen in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as always, open up your Bibles, please, to this series to 2 Peter chapter 1. And we come to a conclusion of the descriptions of all of these qualities, all of these things, these qualities, that we are to have an increasing measure in our lives. Agape is the last description in the text. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, it says this, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness And to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly love, Philadelphia, we learned last week, and to brotherly love, love. Love, love. This love called agape love. Probably everybody knows the one Greek word agape. It's our, our favorite word. We know that word, agape. It's not just a Christian word, but it has been, it has been the word in the original language that has been used to describe 
God's love. A love that is supernatural, a love that is not natural to humans. And it's been, um, it's been described throughout the scriptures, and we're going to try to do the best we can with the, the time that we have to, to, to help us with that. But it is the supreme virtue that glues all of the other qualities together. I think that's why Peter put it at the very end. It's sort of the coup de grace. And the greatest of these is love, as Peter writes in 1 Corinthians 13. It's the centerpiece of God's creation and his new creation plan. He created the world in love. He, creates, he recreated us in love. We are created in love, for love, to love. And so this is imperative that we understand what it is, but it's impossible for us to even consider even a touch of what this means through some sort of systematic, exegetical, or linguistic, or homiletical, or hermeneutical analysis of what it really means. It's not a science study. It's not a, a science of, of words and a science of, of theology so much as it is a study of the actions of God, a study of the operation of God. In, in, a, in order to even approach the questions that we've been structuring our sermons on, the what, the why, the how, it requires of all of us to once again gather at the foot of the cross. It, it is the central source of our understanding of what agape really means. And without that, without gathering together at the foot of the cross and, and to, to once again be brought into an awareness of the incomparable, unparalleled, historic event and picture that took there, the enduring symbol of God's love, it's impossible for us to describe agape. It's the watershed divide. The, the cross stands in history as the watershed, watershed divide between life and death, heaven and hell, goodness and evil. It stands as a sentinel guarding the precipice of damnation. The love of God is displayed, spread eagle on the cross of Christ. What is this, O oh, sacred head now wounded? And what are these hands that are pierced and feet that are pierced? How is this love even possible? How is it that the Romans and the Jews of the day could walk by that cross and not even give it much of a passing glance? How, how is it today that the majority of the world walks by that symbol of the incredible love of God without giving it any attention at all. But more tragic than that, how is it that we, his people, who have been showered with the agape of God, can live our lives in such a way as if we have bypassed the cross and not given it a second glance? Love is not a sentimental, agape love is not a sentimental feeling temporarily showered upon for another for, the, for moments of personal benefit. 
That's the love that we see all around us in our world. Racing from person to person, disposing of one another. This is the human version. This is not God's version. So how do we describe what God has done for us and why he would do this amazing work of love at the cross? Isaiah the prophet writes an amazing, familiar passage to most of us when he describes for us the agape of God this way. In Isaiah 53, verse 5, but he, the prophecy was of Jesus, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Notice the numbers, number of ours and we in this text. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see the slanted nature of that love skewed in our direction entirely? He was pierced for my transgressions. He was crushed for my iniquities. The punishment that brought me peace was upon him. My punishment was upon him. I, like all other sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. I've gone my own way, and the Lord has laid on him my iniquity. This starts us on the right way to the journey to understand the agape of God. You can't start anywhere else but the cross of Calvary. You have to start there. I'm always amazed, you know, what I shouldn't be amazed anymore, but I, I, I think it's right to be amazed at God's providence. When this sermon series was put together, there was no plan to land on agape on a communion Sunday. But God took us here. God has brought us here to this communion Sunday. This Sunday where we have a visual reminder of the sacrifice of humans for one another. And then to deliver us to his table to be reminded of the great sacrifice of our Savior because of the love of God. Drink it all in this morning, beloved. So how do we begin to describe the agape of God? The, the stay, stay fixed on the cross or, or it's impossible because love, this agape is not a simple clinical study of words and you know, when we think about agape, it can really only be defined by its operation, by its effects. Its essence is a mystery. What being would pour forth love for the benefit entirely of the the focus of that love. 
So as we, as we begin to contemplate it, the only thing that, that we can do is look to the scriptures and, and ask them to instruct us. And in 1 John 4, 8 and 16, we are reminded that God is agape. God is love. The amazing reality of our God is our God is a triune God, a God who has existed for all eternity, eternity past, in three persons, one God in three persons. So what has God been doing for eternity past before we came along? He has been exercising his nature, who he is. He is agape, he is love. We're gonna camp a little bit in, in uh, John today, John 5, John 15, so you might wanna notice in John 5, verse 20, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. We need to get our mind wrapped around the, to, to the understanding of for all of eternity past, the Godhead has been exercising agape one with the other because that is the essence of the Trinity. So there are many gods in our world, or so-called gods, but there's only one God who is agape. And he is agape because he is a triune God. In fact, the, the love of God, the reality of the love of God buttresses or, or builds the case for the triune God. The Father has been loving the Son. The Son has been loving the Spirit. They have been exercising agape with one another for all eternity past. Every time I, I teach on something about eternity and eternity past, I, I, I sometimes make the mistake of stopping and pausing and thinking about it. And I was doing that last night for a while, and I realized I was about to lose my mind as I tried to think about the infinite, which a human mind is not designed to do. So I won't pause here and allow you to start contemplating because it will happen to you. You'll start to think, God always was? Then it just, it's a mind-blowing thing. But it, the truth of the matter is, God is agape. Love is how the Godhead functions. So when God responds to humans or his creation, he is... From Gape, he is actually functioning according to his natural character. It's, it's who he is. God didn't have to design this or drum it up. or it, it is who God is. It's his very nature. So God is love, but we also, in purely defining the linguistic nature of the word agape, agape is a free and selfless decision to act benevolently on behalf of another. It is the choice you make to love. It's not a sentimental feeling, although it becomes that. It is a decision you make, but it, it, it's not just this. That's why the, the um, study of the word itself is not enough. You have to study God to understand the love of God. You have to study his word to understand the love of God because agape can be, or, or you can benefit someone, you can make a selfless decision to benefit someone without really loving them. That's what Peter or Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, you know, I can... I can give my body to the flames. I mean, I could be a martyr, but if I have not love, it, it means nothing. This, this, we can do things without having this agape love, but 
So agape itself, by definition, isn't enough. But, but in 1 John 4.10, there is the, the uh, beginning of our journey to help us to understand. John writes this, in this is agape. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Let this soak in every phrase, beloved. And sent his son. Why? Because we needed him to, to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, a big theological word, to simply state that Jesus came to be our sacrifice, to pay the price for our sin, for our rebellion against God, to rescue us from the wrath of God that was upon us. The love of God was demonstrated in order to protect us from the wrath of God. And you say, how, if God is love, if God is agape, where's, why is there any wrath at all? God couldn't possibly be agape if he wasn't in total opposition to everything that wars against agape. And sin ruins love. Sin ruins agape. Rebellion against God is rebellion against a loving God. And so he sent his son, not because we loved him. In fact, it was just the opposite. We were, while we were still enemies, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is love. That this, this is how John defines This is how the Lord defines it. And this is agape. That God loved us while we hated him. This is the amazing thing. And, of course, the goal of God's loving action is a new humanity. A humanity that now is called the friend of God, the friends of God. Uh, look with me at, at John uh, chapter 15. There's a new description for us who've come to know Christ. John 15. And verses 13 to 15. Greater love has no one than this. This is the apex of love, agape, the, the love of God. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Wait a second. When did we become friends of Christ? When were we labeled as friends of Christ? Well, it was at our salvation. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, and here's why. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. I have brought you into confidence. I have brought you into my confidence that you might experience and fully know the love of God that is not available to be known by those who don't know Jesus. This is an incredible statement that is being made here by Jesus. You see, slaves or servants are never brought into the confidence of their master. And the living God says to us here today in the hearing of his word, I call you friends because I have brought you into the confidence of my father. Everything that my father I have, has made known to me I am making known to you. 
This is what the love of God is. And so in, in this um, in, in the continuation of our understanding, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, this, this idea continues on when uh, John writes, by this the love or the agape of God was manifested in us or made crystal clear to us or disclosed to us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. This is the confidence that, God, that Jesus has brought us into a confidence to understand that the love of God has has been made clear to us by what Jesus has done. In other words, God's heart, God's true heart of love is made known to man through Christ, which was formerly not known before in human history. Love initiated the mission of the Son to commission us to carry forth the love of God. John 15, 16 to 17. You did not choose me. How could we? We hated him. We were rebelling against him. You, we were enemies of his. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. No, you did not choose me. Agape love is the choosing of us. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you to go and bear fruit. And among the fruit that I've chosen you to bear is love. Fruit that will last. And then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Agape each other. So... This gives us a, 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 an overview of the what, but why? Why, why would God love us like this? Uh, God's love is what we have been chosen and saved and exampled and empowered to bring into this world. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians and says to them, you are ambassadors of agape, as if Christ were making his appeal through you. Do you realize that every single one of us are ambassadors of the love of God? Because ambassadors, the responsibility and role of ambassadors are so that the values of the homeland can be brought to different places. We as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, are ambassadors of agape. The love of God has been made manifest in us, fully disclosed in us, made crystal clear in us. So what that means then is by this, this love, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now listen, creation itself reveals the general revelation of God so that man is without excuse. All of mankind can look at creation and see in creation the hand of God and can see in creation certain characteristics about God. But we have been given this immense role of being apostles read by all people, uh, of being the written word read by all people. We have been given the assignment 
of being the specific revelation of God, the agape of God, the special revelation of God. We have been given the responsibility to bear Christ's likeness in love that people might look at us and see the love of God being made manifest. Failure here is to misrepresent who God is by character and nature. But it's also a command. Why do we do this? What's well, a command? A new command I give to you, Jesus said in John 13, 34. That you love one another even as I have loved you. That you also love one another. It's also because our sins have been forgiven. Why, are we, why do we love God? Why are we called to love God? Because that's who we now are. Because of our sins being forgiven. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus tells the story, or, or, or sorry, Luke, Luke records the story of, uh, of the woman who came into the dinner at the Pharisee's house with perfume and poured it all over him and wept on Jesus' feet and wiped off his feet, wiped her tears off his feet with her hair. And everybody you know was aghast at this because of her lifestyle. And Jesus said this to his disciples who were there about her. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. If for no other reason than the forgiveness of our sins, the love of God is a great cause for our love toward him. It releases, as, as the uh, theological dictionary of the New Testament says, it releases a new and overflowing love. Let me ask each one of you who are here this morning, because Jesus sort of measures up those who love, those who've been forgiven much, love much. Those who have been forgiven little, love little. Let me ask you. I mean, I asked this of myself as I was studying this. When I consider my debt to Jesus, do I consider the sins that have been forgiven little? When I think about all of my past sins, when I think about my present sins, and when I think about the possibilities of the sins I'm yet to commit, and realize that at the cross, the love of God forgave me of all of those sins. How could I love Jesus little? How could we? We all have been forgiven an immense debt. And beloved, a debt that we haven't yet even totally counted up. We love because we need it forever. We need the love of God forever. We need the agape of God. That's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 14, that the greatest of these is love. Faith will become sight. Hope will be realized. But love will be the nature of eternity. Loving God, having God love us, and loving one another for all eternity. And we need to get good at it now. Because it will be who we are for all of eternity. So, quickly, how? Let me just give you four quick 
uh, important ideas because the, the agape the agape is not to simply be contemplated in our mind. Agape is to be lived out. It's a decision to live in love, granted to us by the power of God through His love. So there's four levels of relationships that we have that we are to express the agape of God. They are love for God, love for our brothers and sisters, love for our Neighbors and love for our, you're kind of mumbling, you're muttering. Well, maybe it's going to be things. Enemies. Enemies. For God, Jesus was asked, what are the great commandments? And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your mind, soul, body, and strength. Matthew 22, verse 37. Total commitment and total trust, proven, through genuine, proven genuine through obeying God's commandments. Our loyalty proven by enduring persecution. Revelation 2, 4. Revelation 12, 11. Tim Keller, in his book, Making Sense of God, writes this, you harm yourself when you love anything more than God. And he goes on to make the point that because if we love anything more than God, we put everything in our lives in crisis and we crush the object of our love if we love it more than God under the weight of impossible expectations. You know, far too many people in their relationships have done just that, whether it's with their spouse or with their children or with friends or whatever. We elevate our expectations by loving them more than God. And the truth is that there is no created thing that can measure up to the expectations that we have on any relationship outside of God alone. Only God can bear the weight of our expectations because he never fails us. That's why Augustine wrote that we were made for more than anything created, that anything created can provide because we were made for another world. So we love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. And the challenge, of course, of that is that many of us have grown up in the church. If you're like me, I started in the church at the nursery and the danger and risk of starting at the church in the nursery is we become enculturated in Christianity. It's who we are by nature of who we hang around with. And we become good at religious rituals and responses and language. The language of, yes, I love God and yes, I love Jesus. The rituals that prove it every Sunday by the fact that I come to church. And Jesus, um, Jesus brought to our attention what, or endorsed what, in fact, Isaiah had written before when Jesus said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship, they worship me in vain, they're their teachings are but rules taught by men. So how can we be certain, particular, 
particularly some of us who've been raised here, raised from the nursery up, how can we be certain that, that we actually are demonstrating agape love, loving the Lord our God with all of our mind, soul, body, and strength, and not just going through the rituals, not just going through the, the motions? Well, well, let's let Jesus answer the question. In, in John 15, 10, Jesus answers that question for us when he says this, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Jesus said, this is how I have given you the example. I obey the Father's commands. Now you obey my commands and remain in my love. You will demonstrate agape love toward the Father if you obey his commands. Now, we all need to understand that, the, that God is not some, like some arbitrary despot who just dishes out commands to see if we, how high we can jump or how low we can grovel. All of God's commands are for our personal benefit, that we might be shaped into the image of Christ Jesus. So... All of his commands are commands of love for us, that we might no longer live in a way that harms ourselves and others, but might live in a way that examples, exemplifies Jesus Christ. The commands are so friends of God can become more and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, and thereby little by little stop falling short of the glory of God. We're of course to, um, to love our neighbors. We spent, or sorry, our brothers and sisters, we, we did that really last week, um, but this is to take it to a whole other level in terms of agape, not just brother love, but this is agape love, which takes it to the next level. Um, the only way I can do this, because we want to quickly go through this, is to simply illustrate it. I want to illustrate agape love for you. I'll do it this way. Last Sunday, I received this love gift. Zoom in on this. I received this love gift. And so this is a gift of brotherly love right here. But what elevates it from simply brotherly love to agape love is this was given to me by a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. Now, what in the world? This was given to me by a Toronto Maple Leaf fan, which takes it to the level of agape. And now today I received another one from someone. Can we look at that one? I'm gonna be the best masked man in the... Now this one takes agape to another level when I'm in the marketplace. Because if I'm not acting loving toward people, it's going to reflect very badly on our church. So I might not wear this one very much. <laughs> the Bruins can afford to, to be dissed. And then there's love for your neighbor. Who is your neighbor? Very quickly, remember what Jesus taught? The story of the Samaritan. Who is your neighbor? Your neighbor is anyone who is within proximity of you who you can benefit at any given time. And the extra level of that story was a racial story, a Samaritan 
Jesus is saying anyone, any human being from whatever country, whatever they look like, if they are within proximity of you and you have it within yourself to help them, agape says help them. You are to live, love your neighbor as yourself. That's a comparative, by the way, not an instruction or a way to avoid the command until you get yourself there. I've heard some teaching, pop psychology teaching that says, well, you can't love your neighbor until you love yourself. That's not what that verse is saying at all. That's just a delay tactic. This is a comparative. Jesus has already conceded that you do love yourself. There's a degree of love you have for yourself. You look after yourself. Just treat your neighbor how you treat yourself, and I'll be good with that. And then finally, love your, na- love your enemy. This is graduate level agape. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Love, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. This is Jesus, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And then he describes God's way. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We are to love our enemies because that's how God is. We are to love our enemies because that's who we used to be. Do you realize that a present enemy you have might become a brother or sister sometime? You were once enemies of believers. The Apostle Paul was once murdering people who were believers. Jesus says, love your enemy. If you love only those who love you, anybody can do that. If you greet only brothers and sisters in Christ, then you're no different than pagans. That's the finishing school of loving God. Agape, beloved, make no mistake about it, is actually practically engaging in the love of God at every level of society, all the time. The world knows only a love that brings destruction. It's called eros, which only seeks to meet desires. But not so among us, not so among you. The church was birthed by a love that gives. It's called agape. It is a most remarkable love that, to which each of us have been chosen to model. Father, thank you so much for your immense and amazing love toward us. We now, Father, want to recognize and remember the, the apex demonstration of your love for us. The sacrifice of your son that we might have our sins forgiven, not because we loved you, 
not because we were reaching out for you, not because we were even crying for you to help us or to save us, but because, oh God, you love us. And in that love, you gave, not to benefit yourself, but to benefit those who needed you. And so, our Father, today we recognize that that you have brought us into your family to love like you love. This is not um, an assignment that we've been given in the flesh, but rather an actual transformation that's taken place in our lives because we are believers, because we are Christians. We have been granted to be partakers of the divine nature and to bear fruit, fruit that will last like the love of God. So I pray, O oh God, that as we come to the table of the Lord this morning, that corrections will be made in our lives where we have failed you or are failing you, that we might become a people of agape love. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. Beloved, this love of God, agape, is not an intellectual exercise. It is a lifestyle. There's a helpful illustration in the scriptures that reminds us that God's word is like a mirror. We're to look at it and then we don't walk away unchanged. We make changes. In the uh, book of Ephesians, Paul tells believers, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Every morning when most of us get up, I'm pretty sure all of us, we get up, and we look half dead stumble into the bathroom and look in the mirror. And not a one of us in this room or watching online, well, maybe online, I gotta take that back. Not a one of us in here has come to church the same way we woke up this morning, pretty sure. Because we made the adjustments that were necessary to wake up, oh sleeper, and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. And so it is with agape. We may have some blind spots. We may have some areas that we're not participating in. And beloved, I want to, I want to um, urge you today, do not walk away from the mirror of God's word this morning unchanged. Do not leave here exercising the same level of agape as when you arrived or this exhortation will be of no benefit to you. How do we love the Lord our God with all of our mind, soul, body, and strength? We obey his word. You can't say that you're a agape-loving God if you're disobeying his word. What do we do for our brothers and sisters? We forgive them. We love them. We benefit them. How about our neighbors? Every single person that is around you this week and every day of this week and every day after that is your neighbor. 
wherever you are, every single person around you is your neighbor. And therefore, your responsibility to demonstrate the agape of God. What about your enemies? What did Jesus say to do with respect to your enemies? Pray for those who persecute you. To pray for them. Now, all of these are exhortations of the agape of God. And when we get up every morning, we take care of our outward appearance. God is calling us today to take care of our inward appearance as it appears outwardly in every social level we participate in. We live in a moment that is so badly broken relationally. Can you imagine the stark, amazing difference that would occur in our culture if Christians all of a sudden decided we are going to embrace what we have been given by God to demonstrate the agape of God everywhere we go, at every social level we encounter. It will shake the world.